You said in your word, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. And so as we begin to open the volume of the book, I thank you that your presence is being made manifest more and more. We thank you. We give you the praise and honor for all that has been done. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for honoring the praises of your people with your presence. Now, Father, I thank you that as we begin to feed upon your word, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is being made manifest. And we give you the praise and the honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I would tell you to be seated, but you already are. So, <laughs> I want you to go with me again this morning to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord. John chapter 8, and if you will, while I'm thinking about it, if you will, go ahead and look up Proverbs chapter 4. Go ahead and look that up. Save us a little bit of time. We've been talking about the discipleship of Peter. And we are going to continue talking about that, but we're going to go a little different direction than what we have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John chapter 8. <clears throat> As I've shared with you, Jesus was ministering in John 8. He was preaching. And as he's preaching the word, faith begins to rise in the hearts of some of the people that are listening to him. And so Jesus begins to pick up on that in his spirit, and he begins to address those that faith is beginning to rise in them. And so in verse 30 it says this, says, And as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As I've shared with you, there is a vast difference between being a believer and being a disciple. You can't enter into the kingdom of God unless you become a believer in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 9, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Faith is required in order to bring about the new birth and the new birth is necessary to enter the kingdom of God. So, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are a believer. But a disciple, on the other hand, is one that goes further. 
A disciple is one that makes the decision, I am going to live by the Word of the living God. And as I've shared with you, the foundation of discipleship is commitment. Jesus said, if you continue... The Greek word there is meno, it's translated abide. It is a word that means to be constant, to be the same, to be steadfast. It is a word that refers to being consistent. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, Jesus, as we just said, is specifically addressing those that were believing on Him. And He said, if you continue in My Word. Well, how many of you know you can't continue in something you've never started? Isn't that true? You have to be started if you're going to continue. So apparently there was something that they had started. They had started a process with the Word of God. Well, what was the process? Well, first of all, they had set in motion the process of faith. As Jesus was addressing those Jews which believed on Him. So they were setting in, process, setting in motion the process of faith. And in doing so, they had also set in process the motion of discipleship. You can't walk in discipleship without walking in faith. Isn't that right? Jesus said to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My Word, then are you My disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, how was the process set in motion? How does faith come? Well, Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So does discipleship. Discipleship comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The process of faith and discipleship begin with listening for God and listening to God. I want to say that again. The process of discipleship begins with listening to God and listening for God. So, what I want to do, I want to take some time. I was impressed of the Lord to do this yesterday. I, it really wasn't in my plan, but I believe it's in His. I want to take a little bit of time and talk to you about listening to God. And I want to share six things with you, six <laughs> things with you that are related and connected to listening to God. So go with me now to Proverbs chapter 4. We won't be there very long, but I do want to give you this listing and share a couple of things with you. Proverbs chapter 4. Before we read that, I want to go ahead and give you a couple of things here. A couple of things in the list. Number one. You ready? Number one, listening is spiritual movement. 
Listening is spiritual movement. Listening is a spiritual activity. Listening is spiritual movement. It is a spiritual activity. The very first mention of movement in the Word of God is in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, if you break it down in the Hebrew, that word moved uh, is a Hebrew word that refers to, it could be translated as brooding. It carries the idea and the picture of a hen, mother hen brooding over her eggs. There's nothing nothing wrong with the use of that word, but I want you to realize that when it says that the Spirit of God was moving, it was not referring to him, you know, he's pictured as a dove in the New Testament. It's not referring to him out there just kind of flapping around. Okay? That's not what he was doing. When it says that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, now he may have been moving from one location to the next or whatever the case may be, but actually what the Spirit of God was doing was listening. He was listening for the creative command of the Word of God. He was listening. He was expecting to hear the voice of the Word of God say, Light be! And when the Word of God spoke and said, Light be, He brought it about. Light was. But His moving on the face of the waters, actually was the process of listening. Listening is spiritual movement. Listening is spiritual activity. And I'll tell you something else. So is expectancy. Being expectant is spiritual movement. Those of you that are familiar with Oral Roberts, he said it for years. Expect a miracle every day. Because in your expectation, you move toward your miracle. You move toward God. So I say once again, listening and expectation is spiritual movement. Now this is kind of a side thought, but the Lord brought this to my attention, so I want to share it with you. The Spirit of God is always moving. Did you know that? The Spirit of God is never static. He is always moving 24-7. He is always in motion. He is always moving because He is always listening. The Spirit of God does absolutely nothing without hearing it first. Do you know that? Jesus said that in John 16, 13. He said, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, 
that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The Spirit of God is constantly in motion because he is constantly listening, and whatever he hears, he speaks. Now, here's kind of a side thought for you. Cindy and I have been doing this a long time. (laughs) And in the process of doing this over a 40-year period, we've had the, the, the experience and the blessing to lay hands on, and I say this without exaggeration, literally hundreds and possibly thousands of people to, lay, to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And, I mean, we got a couple of them here. I laid hands on Kelly, laid hands on Robert, I don't know who else. But that's two I know of that are here. In ministering the Holy Ghost to people, and this may help you if somebody wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speak in other tongues. In ministering the Holy Ghost to to people, one of the things that I found out early on, People get very confused over Acts 2-4 where it says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so a lot of times when you lay hands on people and pray for them to receive the Holy Ghost, many times they sit there and they wait. Well, I'm waiting on something. (laughs) Language or words or something. But here's what I've learned. The Spirit of God will not do anything until He hears it first. And one of the things that I've learned in ministering the Holy Ghost to people is if you can get them to take that step of faith and begin to use their voice, begin to make sound with their voice. Kelly's shaking her head. Begin to make sound with their voice. The Spirit of God will not move until He hears it first. When you take that step of faith with your voice, He gives you the utterance. And every single time that I've gotten people to begin to make sound with their voice, take that step of faith without fail. Without fail, they've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. Now, I, God has, has engraced me with a gifting to minister the Holy Ghost to people. And I thank God for that. That's part of the ministry of laying on of hands. But it doesn't, that, that really is not an issue when it comes to, to, to the individual stepping out in faith. If you can get that person to sound with their voice, God will give them the language. But they have to take that step of faith. We had one, one friend of ours, y'all have met her, Maria. Maria D., I call her Viking woman because she, her roots are in Iceland. But she stands about that tall. <laughs> and she was a chronic seeker. And I kept telling her, come see me. Well, no, well, she went to this class and this meeting and that meeting and this meeting and that meeting and this meeting and that meeting and da-da-da-da-da. Maria, <laughs> come see me. Well, finally, <laughs> she came over to the house. I laid hands on her, and, and 
when you, when you get a person that won't, won't use their voice, that won't take that step of faith, for lack of a better term, what you end up with is a Mexican standoff. They're waiting on God and God's waiting on them. But once you get them, and I shared that with her, and I said, the minute you give a sound with your voice, you'll be baptized in the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. She did, God did, and she laid in the floor and shook for 45 minutes. Just, just praising God in other tongues. So, uh, I just wanted to, first of all, share with you, listening is spiritual movement. Number two, listening is directional. Listening is directional. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying the foundation, or not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. How does faith come? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. So as you begin to listen to God and faith rises in your heart, it moves you toward God. What you listen to, you will move toward. Listening is directional. In fact, I did a message, it's been a while back, but I did a message um, probably a year or so ago now called Believing Towards God. And we went through, this is particularly true in the book of John. A lot of times you find the phrase in the book of John, and they believed on Him. They believed on Him. But when you look at it in the Greek, the word that's translated on is the Greek word eis, E-I-S. And that word eis in the Greek refers the motion of one object toward another. And so really what John was saying was they believed toward him. And we did a, like I said, we did a message and went through some of those references in John and, and looked, at that, looked at that process. And so on. So, listening is directional. Listening is spiritual movement. Listening is directional. Now, have you found Proverbs 4 yet? Okay. Go with me to verse 20. Let's add to the list here. <clears throat> Verse 20, Solomon said, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ears unto my sayings. Number three, listening is a sacrifice. Listening is a sacrifice. One of the scriptures that we've uh, brought or used in this series already, 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, and Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hear or listen than the fat of rams. So, listening is 
a sacrifice. There's an interesting scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5.1 gives this admonition. <laughs> Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. And be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. The, one of the greatest sacrifices you can give to God is your ears. In fact, he said, my son, attend to my word, incline thine ears. One translation says, bow the ear. Bow the ear. So this brings us to the next point. Listening is also an act of submission. Listening is an act of submission. When you understand that, there's a verse of Scripture, actually a couple of Scriptures that become very relevant here. James 4, 6 and 7 says, But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. How do you submit to God? Huh? Listen. Listen to God. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? Don't listen. <laughs> Don't listen. It's kind of like years ago I heard Brother Copeland make this statement on a tape. He said a person came up to him and he said, <laughs> Brother Copeland, the devil is telling me I should do so and so. Copeland looked at him and said, well, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, how hard is that? Just don't do it. Now, here's something you need to realize. As long as you are in this earth, you are not going to escape hearing the voice of the enemy. Do you know that? It doesn't mean you're unspiritual when the devil's hitting your head with thoughts and ideas and you're hearing his voice. That doesn't mean you're unspiritual. It means you're in the earth. Jesus didn't say, my sheep don't hear the voice of the enemy. It said, they hear my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. So you may have the devil hit your head with stuff. Cool trick. Don't listen. Submit to God. No, I'm not listening to that. I'm listening to this. Resist the devil and what will happen? He will flee from you. One of the ways you can quit listening to him is start talking to him. <laughs> oh yeah, talk to him. No, devil, I'm not going to listen to you. You listen to me. Yeah, sing to him. Praise. Praise, praise affects, praise affects him the way... Praise affects him the way cussing affects the believer. 
John Osteen got in an elevator one time. This was Joel's daddy. John got in an elevator one time, and there was a guy just absolutely having a big old bad cuss fit. You know, everything ugly you can think of, he was saying it. In this elevator, and John couldn't get out. <laughs> and so, in the midst of all that, John just lifted his hands and started praising God. And that guy looked at him and said, what are you doing? He said, well, you're praising your God, I'm praising mine. <laughs> but listening is submission. Let's keep reading. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Now, did you notice here? Notice at the end of verse 20, it says, Incline thine ears unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Now, that's not talking about... <laughs> That's not talking about walking around with a Bible. I'm not letting the Word depart from my eyes. Very impractical. That's not what it's talking about. There is a, there is a connection between your ears and your eyes. So here's the other aspect I want you to see. Listening causes us to see into the Spirit. Listening causes us to see into the Spirit. Now, let, let's look at a couple of Scriptures back to back here for just a second. Romans ten seventeen. we just looked at so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. So there is a connection between the hearing of faith and the seeing of faith. Hearing causes you to see into the spirit realm. Now, as you read the Word... As you listen to the Word, you need to understand that words are image transfer devices. Words are image transfer devices. For example, if I say chair, you may think of one of these because they're right here. If I say blue chair... You may think of one of these. Green chair. Big green chair. Big green chair on wheels. Big green chair on wheels with a pillow in the seat and armrests. You see how the picture changes? Words transfer images. And when you begin to read in the Word of God, 
what happens as you hear the word, it paints pictures of what is going on in the realm of the Spirit. Now, I'm not taking away from visions. I'm not taking away from dreams. Cindy and I have had a few of those in our walk with God through the years. But what I'm telling you is that you are not limited to that as far as being able to see into the Spirit. I mean, for example, um, Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him, and delivereth them. You've got at least one angel with you 24-7, surrounding you, protecting you, helping you, ministering for you, according to Hebrews 1.14. And you need to see that. You need to know He's there. In fact, it would help you when you read that, it would help you just to close your eyes and just picture your angel standing there beside you. You know why? Because in the realm of the Spirit, He is. He is there. Somebody said, oh, that's just your imagination. Well, no, wait a minute. People have the idea that if it's just your imagination, that it's not real. It depends on the source of the picture. God's not a liar. So if you build an image based on what He has said, it is not a fantasy. It's a fact. It's a spiritual reality. For example, I was, the Lord dropped this in my spirit yesterday when I was thinking about this. For those of you that are familiar, for example, uh, 1937, the explosion of the Hindenburg. Familiar with that? The explosion of the Zeppelin Hindenburg. Alright, have any of you ever heard the news commentator? It's very, very famous um, recording of his. He actually was sent out there to New Jersey to just, you know, report on this big old huge Zeppelin is going to land, and he was out there to report on it, and the thing just exploded. And he's standing out there trying to report it, and he's crying, and he starts going into hysterics. Well, the only form of communication they had back then, well, I say the only form, the predominant form of communication was radio. So those people are sitting there listening to that man report and they are beginning to see, based on what he is saying, they are beginning to see what he's seeing. Now, certainly, the images aren't going to be exactly detailed because they're not there. But what they are seeing in their imagination as they listen to that report was a fact. You know why? Because this guy was telling the truth. And the same thing is true with God's Word. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them. And as you close your eyes and you begin to imagine and praise God that the angel of the Lord is with you 24-7, you're seeing into the Spirit. Now it depends, again, it depends on the source of the words. Same radio, two years later, Orson Welles, 
came out with the radio version of War of the Worlds. And it was so real that people were committing suicide because they thought the Martians had landed. They said, that's stupid. No, that's the power of words. And he got in serious trouble over that. But same radio, same imagination. The problem was not the radio or the imagination. The problem was the source of the words. One was truth, the other was a lie. So when you begin to build those pictures in your mind based on listening to the Word of God, you're actually seeing into the spirit realm. So again, listening causes us to see into the spirit realm. Now... I told you there was, how many did I tell you, six? There's five. <laughs> okay, listening, number one. Listening is spiritual movement. Listening is directional. No, there's another one. My notes got messed up. I love technology. My notes are gone. Don't worry, I got them back. Verse 22. I switched over to my webcast notes. Verse 22. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Number six. Listening is the gateway to the heart. Listening is the gateway to the heart. So, let me give them to you again. Number one. Listening is spiritual movement. Number two, listening is directional. Number three, listening to God is a sacrifice. Number four, listening involves submission. Number five, listening causes us to see into the spirit realm. And then the last one, listening is the gateway of the heart. Now, we, as the Lord leads, we'll get into that in greater detail later. But I want you to realize the importance of listening. The importance of listening to God. We, we actually kind of got over into this uh, last week. You remember us talking about Mary and Martha? Martha was over there just absolutely going bananas in the kitchen and trying to cook supper and just going wild in her being cumbered as <laughs> as it says, being cumbered about with much serving. And she really thought she was doing the Lord a big service. But who was the real disciple? Mary. What would she do? Sat at His feet and listened to His Word. Amen. Alright. Go with me now to Matthew 16. Let's, let's pick up with... Brother Peter, we're talking about the discipleship of Peter. I don't have time to go into this in the detail that we, that we have. Um, I encourage you to get the, the CDs that we've done on the series because we've already broken this down a great deal. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 <clears throat> 
It says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. And as I've said to you, the word Simon means to hear. That's what his name means. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto me, unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And as we've talked about, Jesus was telling him, you didn't get this from your five physical sense gates. You didn't, you didn't get this from what you could see or touch or taste or smell or hear. You got this by revelation from the Father. Simon, to hear, hearing one, you have heard from the Father, you have heard from heaven. So he declares that revelation. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also, and I've had you take note of that word also, because it's very important. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. In other words, Jesus was saying, Peter, you've gotten a revelation from my Father. Now I'm going to add to it. You received the revelation that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here you go, Peter. Here's another revelation. Simon, son of Jonas, thou art Peter. And as I said to you, it's, it's interesting when you contrast the two thou arts. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus turned around and said, yeah, and thou art Peter. And as I've said to you, when you find out who Jesus is, then you begin to find out who you are. That's going to be very important before we get through, because we're going to talk about spiritual identity this morning. But he said, thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And as I've shared with you, that word Peter literally means a rock, Petros, a small individual stone. And he was saying, he was saying to Peter, Peter, you are going to become solid, you are going to become secure, and you are going to become stable. And when you read through the Gospels, Simon was anything but stable. But Jesus said, Simon, this is what you're going to become. This is who heaven says you are. Verse 18 again. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19. And I say, and I will give thee, unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and as I've shared with you what Jesus was saying to him was Simon this is who heaven says you are right now Simon you are emotion ruled 
you are unstable, you lose your temper, you shoot your mouth off, nobody knows what you're going to do next. But heaven says, you're solid, you're stable, you're secure. And what he's saying here in verse 19, we talked about the binding and loosing. Jesus was giving him the option. Simon, you can bind yourself to that identity and become that. Or you can loose yourself from it and stay Simon for the rest of your life. You can stay emotion-ruled, unstable, insecure, full of fear, lose your temper, shoot your mouth off. All, you can stay that way for the rest of your life or you can become who, who heaven says you are. And who heaven says you are is Petros. Now, one of the things that I've brought out, and this is where we're going to go off the diving board a little different direction. Discipleship is always self-imposed. Nobody can make you a disciple. People may nag you, bother you, pester you about how you need to go to church, you need to do this, you need to do that. But actually, in becoming a true disciple, that is something that is between you and God. And nobody can make you a disciple. You can either become one or not become one. That is your choice. Okay? This is something between you and God. Now, hold your place there in Matthew and go with me to Proverbs 6. Let's go off the diving board a little different direction. Let's talk about this self-imposed aspect of this for a little bit. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. I'm going to read out of the King James. I don't know what it has in your translation. The King James says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. <laughs> Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long will you sleep, thou old sluggard? When will you arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. And Cindy's back there chuckling. The reason she's chuckling is because my dad only knew two scriptures. One of them was, you don't work, you don't eat. And the other one he knew, his, this was kind of his own version. See, I grew up in oil fields. And, you know, it's just rite of passage. When you get old enough to work, you go work in the oil field. And so, <laughs> I spent my summers and, and weekends working in the oil field as a roustabout. And so, 5 o'clock every morning... Son, time to get up! Hey! Get up! 
And he'd walk in and say, if you don't get up, go to work. Poverty's going to get in bed with you. <laughs> and I want to say, here's a pillow for him. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> I was a sluggard. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, a sluggard is a lazy person who refuses to discipline themselves. And he says here, verse 6, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the, in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. In other words, he said, look, telling the sluggard, look at the ant. The ant is a self-disciplined creature. Discipleship comes from self-imposition. The ant, by instinct, by inward motivation, does what's needful and necessary. And that's the way discipleship work, works. Nobody can make you a disciple. Discipleship is always self-imposed. Now, when you talk, start talking to a sluggard about discipline, they will always make excuses. I'm, I'm building something here, so stay with me. Proverb twenty two thirteen. The slothful man, same thing, slothful, sluggard, same guy. The slothful man saith, there is a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. This walking with Jesus is just too hard. I just can't do it. It's just too tough. Every time I read that scripture, I think about a guy I used to sell insurance with. His name was Boney Gira. And Boney had a very strong Hispanic accent. And Boney, we were having a meeting, and Boney wasn't going out. And this was back in the days when you insurance agents went out and knocked the doors. And Boney wasn't going out and knocking doors. So we're sitting in this meeting. And the manager said, Boney, you're not making any money. I know it. <laughs> you're going broke, Boney. I know it. Boney, you need to go out and knock some doors, sell some insurance, make some money. I know it. Why aren't you doing it? I don't know. He said, the manager said, listen, Boney, what you need to do is, man, Get up early in the morning, get dressed, grab your briefcase, go out there, knock a few doors and make some money. Said, no, I can't do that. Why not? Oh, he's still early. <laughs> okay, Boney, you don't want to go out early? Tell you what, hang around the house all day, do whatever honeydews you got to do. And then, you know, after you eat a bite of lunch, about one o'clock, go out and knock a few doors, make some money. Oh, I can't do that. Why not? Oh, he's too hot. So, anyway. All right, Boney, you don't want to go out after lunch. Wait till, you know, 5 o'clock or so when everything is cooled down and go out and knock a few doors. Oh, I can't do that. 
Why not? Ice too late. <laughs> Boney. Boney. Boney had an excuse for everything. He was a sluggard. <laughs> and that's the way people are. You know, you try and tell them, listen. <clears throat> you deal with people and, oh, brother, I have this problem. Man, well, the Word says this, and you need to do this and this and this. Oh, man. I tried to do that, but it didn't work. Okay, well, if that didn't work for you, well, the Word, the word also says this. You need to do this. Oh, man, I tried that. That didn't work either. Okay, well, let's go over here. Da, 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 da. Okay, Word says this. You need to do this. I can't do that. It won't, man, that won't work. Pastor, what am I going to do? Well, go to hell, I guess. I don't know. Because everything I told you, you made an excuse for. But that's the way the sluggard is. That's the way he is. But it's very interesting. Thank you, Lord. Discipleship begins with listening. We talked about that. Discipleship also involves taking heaven's identity. That's why Jesus was telling Peter, Simon, thou art Peter. This is who heaven says you are. You are Peter. Now you have the responsibility to take that identity, receive it, and walk in it. And you can't be a sluggard and do that. You have to become self-motivated, just like the ant, and do it. Brother Copeland used to say, say it this way. Do what's right. Do it because it's right. And then do it right. That is self-imposed responsibility. And that was what Jesus was throwing out at Peter. And it's a very interesting thing. <clears throat> When you read the two introductions, or let me say this before we get, go there. Um, anointings follow identity. Anointings follow identity. We were in a meeting. This was in 1992. No, 94. We, how much time have I got? Oh, okay. I have all day. It's still high. Um, <laughs> this is in 1994. We had had a lady come in 
minister at our church there in San Angelo, a lady by the name of Bobby Jean Merck, who was very instrumental back in the early days of our ministry. She is a, a prophetess from Toccoa, Georgia, very powerful woman. She kind of will, she kind of would remind you of Catherine Kuhlman, but more prophetic. Anyhow, we had had her at our church, and then she went to Anson. You all know where Anson is, up around Abilene? She was doing a meeting there, and we thought, hey, we'll just go up there and sit in on the meeting. So we went up there, got through with the meeting. We were going to go up and say, you know, hi to Bobby Jean. And there was, there was probably, what, Cindy, three or four hundred people? Huh? Yeah. So quite a few people. So I, I'm walking up to the front, and uh, I'm standing there, and I noticed there, there's a woman about probably that tall standing behind me. And I can just feel her presence, you know. So I walk over to the other side of the room, and she follows me. And uh, this went on two or three times. I'm trying to get away, and she just she keeps following me. And finally, I turn around and I said, uh, "Can I help you?" <laughs> she said, "She said." Now, I didn't know this woman from, from Adam. She said, you're supposed to pray for me. Okay. So I laid hands on her, started praying in the Spirit. And the Lord said, ask her who she is. And I said, who are you? Well, she told me her name. I said, no. I said, who are you? And she said, well, I'm just a servant of the Lord. I said, don't give me that religious junk. I said, who are you? Well, I pastor in Floydada. Y'all know where Floydada is? She said, I pastor in Floydada. Okay. Lord just gave me her name. I'd forgotten her name. <laughs> name was Mary Cunningham. And... I said, no, that's not it. I said, who are you? She, one foot and then the other and kind of him hauled around. I said, tell me who you are. She said, you tell, boy, this was hard for her. She, I'm a prophetess, bless God. <laughs> and she started stomping around and said, I'm a prophetess, I'm a prophetess, bless God. I'm a prophetess. That's what I am. I'm a prophetess. I said, come here. She walked over there. I laid hands on her, and that anointing of the prophet came on her to abide. But she had to receive that identity before she got that anointing. You follow that principle now? Jesus, Jesus, I lost my thing. Oh, no. Where'd it go? Oh, there it is. I got it. Um, Jesus threw out at Simon, he said, you're Peter. You got the option to receive that identity or walk away from it. And I think what Peter realized is that if he didn't become Peter, 
he wouldn't stay an apostle. Watch, look at this very carefully. The first two, the, 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 the introduction to the two letters of First and Second Peter, watch this. First Peter 1 Peter 1.1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What did he call himself? Called himself Peter first. Peter, an apostle. All right. Second Peter one one. Look at this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle. The Simon part became a servant. The Peter part became an apostle. If he would not have taken that identity as Peter and chose to become what God said he was, he probably would not have stayed an apostle. And instead of them trying to, refine, to find a replacement for Judas, they probably would have had two slots open. And isn't it interesting, when you read through the book of Acts, or the first chapter of Acts, there were two candidates. Isn't that interesting? So my point is, if you're going to walk in the anointing of what God has called you to, you have to receive that identity. Very important. Identity is, receiving that identity is the key to discipleship. Now, I've shared this with you and, and I, I said there, well, let me back up. Kenneth Hagin wrote a book called In Him. It's a little mini book. And he said, go through the New Testament and find every scripture, particularly from the book of Acts onward, but go through the New Testament and find every scripture that has the phrase, in Him, in whom, in Christ Jesus. Okay? Because he said, when you find scriptures that have those phrases, in Him, in whom, in Christ, that scripture is talking about you. And he said, you need to go through every one of them, underline them in your Bible, look them up in your concordance, and then receive the identity of that scripture. Now, here's one for you. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. Oh, there's an in Christ scripture. Hey, that's talking about me. So you know what I need to do? Receive that identity. Glory to God, I am blessed. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. That's who I am. I receive that identity. I am blessed of the Most High God. And the devil hits your head and says, Yeah, but you don't look too blessed. What do you do with that? Don't listen. Because here, here's what happens. Once you receive that identity of, I am blessed of God, I don't care if I'm living in a garbage dump in a cardboard box. I'm blessed of God. When you receive that identity, the anointing to make it happen will come. But you have to receive the, the identity first. Too many people are looking for the anointing first 
before they receive the identity. You receive the identity by faith, then the anointing comes. You follow that? You know, we were talking about the ant and the sluggard. Proverbs 30, 25 says, The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. An ant is not strong. I don't care what. You remember the old cartoon, Adam Ant? That was the biggest, baddest ant ever. Y'all don't remember that. Anyhow, an ant is not strong. It's easy to kill an ant. You can crush an ant. But an ant is self-disciplined. An ant, by instinct, does what's needful and what's necessary. Here's the point. If you make the commitment to discipleship, you don't have to supply the strength. God will supply the strength in the anointing. All you have to do is receive the identity, make the commitment. You with me? All right. Go with me to Matthew chapter 25. We're almost done. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. You know, that's always fun when that happens. I, I could not remember that woman's name yesterday. And you get under the anointing and the Spirit of God will have you remember stuff. I, I would watch Brother Hagin do that. He would talk about some event and while he was under the anointing, God would tell him when it was. It was on a Thursday, December whenever, 1937. And he, he would say, he said, when I'm out from the anointing, I don't remember any of that. He could tell you what time of day it was. But all of that came from listening to God and being under the anointing. All right, Matthew chapter 25, <clears throat> verse 14. We're talking about receiving identity in discipleship, okay? Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. What's this phrase? To every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Now it says he gave to everyone according to his several ability. The ability to what? To profit. Now, I, will look, I was looking at this yesterday. I've never approached this this way. And I've been teaching on this passage nearly 30 years. The Lord dropped this in my spirit Drop this other scripture. Isaiah 48, 17. Watch this. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. Here's my point. He not only gave them the money, 
151211. He not only gave them the money, he gave them specific, detailed instructions on here's what you do with what I gave you. He laid it out. One, two, three, four, five. He is the Lord that teaches thee to profit. He laid it out. Step by step by step by step by step. Do this. Okay. Verse 15 again. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Now, here's something in this that I had never, never seen before. When that man gave the coins the five talents, the two and the one, and told them step by step by step, here's what you need to do. He was trying to turn them from servants into protégés. He was trying to turn them from servants into protégés. He was trying to make duplicates of himself. Do this like I would do it. Do exactly what I tell you to do. And so, one went out with five talents, gained five. One went out with two and gained two. But now notice in verse 18. And he that had received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. Take note of that phrase. His Lord's money. Verse 19. After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents, and behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, notice what those two said. Verse 20. So he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. You gave it to me. Verse 22, he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me. 
you delivered unto me two talents. And I have gained two more. When, when they said, you delivered unto me, you put it in my hands, you put it in my authority, you gave it to me. At that moment, they were receiving the identity of being a protege. And they took the responsibility of that identity. You delivered unto me. And we did exactly. We did exactly what you told us to do. And we profited. And now notice this. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord... I know that you are a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you had not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast that is thine. This man never received the identity of a protege. As far as he was concerned, that was not his money. That was his Lord's money he would not take that identity he would not take that responsibility now what he was saying to him in verse 24 then he that received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you had not straw. Do you know what he's saying to him? Lord, I know this works for you, but it won't work for me. Excuses! It's too hot. It's too cold. It'll work for you, Lord, but it won't work for me. It'll work for everybody else. It'll work for Carl. It don't work for Kenneth. It'll work for everybody but me. Did you ever notice that nobody ever says, it, it, it doesn't work, but it works for me? They're always the person it doesn't work for. Anyway. And I was afraid. That was his problem. Verse 25. I was afraid... And when and hid thy talent in the earth, lo, there hast that is thine. Verse 26, his Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and slothful, you sluggard, you. You wicked, wicked and slothful servant, you know that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I had not straw. You oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. In other words... If you knew it would work for me, you should, have did, you should have done what I told you. Why? Because the Lord and His Word are one. Years, years, years ago, I asked the Lord, I said, I was reading this, and I said, Lord, what would have happened if they would have done everything you said and lost it all? If the five would have lost the five, lost the two, lost the one. If they would have lost it all, what would you have done? He said, I would have rewarded them. Say what? He said, Kenneth, 
I wasn't rewarding their profitableness. I was rewarding their faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. He said, who would have been responsible? He said, if they did exactly what I told them to do, step by step by step, did exactly what I told them to do and lost it all, who's responsible? Not them. Well, here's a good question. Why was the guy afraid? I mean, if I gave Carl $100 and I said, Carl, I want you to go do this, 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 and this with it. And he went and did exactly what I told him to do and he lost the $100. What did it cost him? Nothing. That servant didn't have anything on the line. He didn't have any personal investment. What was he afraid of? Listen. His fear of being unprofitable made him unfaithful. His fear of being unprofitable made him unfaithful. So when you receive the identity that God has called you to walk in, baby, there's going to be some risk. But God will make up the difference. Because you're doing what He told you to do anyway. Are you listening? Go ahead and receive your identity. Go ahead and receive who God says you are. And the anointing will be there to to back it up. Yes, but what if I fail? You probably will. But the blood is bigger. The blood is greater. And there is not one possible failure you can have that cannot be reconciled by the mercy of God. Are you listening? All right, verse, let's read verse 30. Well, let's read down to verse 30. Verse 28, Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For everyone that hath shall be, for to everyone that hath shall, hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Hey, listen, If Peter had not received his identity, he would have lost his apostleship. What would have happened to it? Been given to somebody else. So, in fact, Cindy and I know for a fact, we are doing things in the ministry and have for years that never was part of our primary call. And we're doing it because of the disobedience of other people that wouldn't take up their part. Anyhow. Verse 30. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, 
You know why he called him unprofitable? Because that's how he judged himself. He wasn't judging himself by faithfulness. He was just judging himself by profitability. And so that was the judgment he received. So they said, yep, God sent him straight to hell. No, that isn't what happened. <laughs> Look up that phrase. It's used 16 times in the New Testament. You know what happened? He lost fellowship with the Lord. He was walking in darkness and lost the revelation of his identity. That's scary. Scary. In other words, he decided to stay a Simon. Anyhow, did you learn anything? We're going to get some more, get more into this detail in detail next week. We're going to talk about, I think, the laver possibly next week. Not the lever, the laver. Amen.